warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. the Real Britannia podcast, a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. Good morning, Scott here with me at the other end of a Skype line up in not-so-sunny York. Stephen, hello, mate. How are you doing? Wonderful. We've just been chatting on air for about an hour. Sorry, off off air. (laughs) So I know exactly how you are. Yeah, Yeah. this false banter that we have at the beginning of every show is... (laughs) (laughs) We've put the world to rights in the last 45 minutes or so. Yeah. And had a good old rabbit, and, so there's no need to carry People do that on podcasts, don't they? They're, they're going, oh, how are you? And, oh, oh, mate. It's like, We're guilty of it, mate. You know, yeah. we, we, we create these false conversations at the beginning. And people and, don't care who we no, are. No, we just want us to talk about the film. Just get on with what we're talking about. Today's movie. There you go, straight into it. Today's movie. <laughs> Once again, Stephen has proved that the British film industry exists north of Watford. Um, something that I am guilty of. Uh, <laughs> there is a there is quite a marked difference, isn't there? Mate? You tend to, but we've said this before. You tend to sort of find northern based or Scottish, Irish, whatever you know, movies. Where I'm pretty stuck in the mud down here in the southeast. <laughs> Subconsciously, and and then recognise that we've done it. We've fallen into this pattern whereby you have a. Uh, uh, strong awareness of the films around Landon and um, <laughs> and the home counties there and particularly that being your environment you've been able to recognize locations mm. um, streets and things and yeah it has sort of fallen in accidentally at one point to uh, and now a bit more intentional to highlight myself things that are Regional films might be a, a yes, term for it, although that might word, be a bit yeah. derogatory for, mm. for Scotland, which is you know, it's, its own country, not just a region, <laughs> and same with Ireland. But yeah, just to just to, as a bit of, of counterbalance, because the, the vast majority of films, I would say, that are, are highlighted are, you know, London-based, because so much happens in the capital and so much, you know, you've, you've got all the stuff with government and culture and et cetera happening in, in, in around the capital. And it's you know a lot of the film um, studios originally were were around London, so that's where they would film, and that's why you got all the Ealing stuff and etc. Mm-hmm. So it's redressing the balance slightly and <laughs> and having something from from outside of the capital and yeah. in fact one of the Celtic countries. Exactly, exactly. So as I progress with the kitchen sink drama series you know 90% of those movies are going to be set north of Watford we know that for a fact but as that series progresses when you get things like Alfie and stuff that we're going to sort of slot in there when swinging London becomes a thing mid-60s you know there's a little bit of a shift there as well isn't it you know um 
wasn't Georgie Girl set in London that we did that? Georgie recently? Girl was, yeah. um, was up the junction. I think up the junction was and poor yeah. cow, you know. So yeah. as that series progresses, there's a little bit of a switch. But, you know, I'm, I'm not doing it intentionally. It's <laughs> No, but I, I, as I say, I think your stronger knowledge of the London environment and history, I think, allows you to, to have a stronger view and commentary on a lot of the films historically that are from around that area. You know, it's naturally how it's developed and highlighting films from outside of London for me and you doing the capital. Okay, so without further ado, it's a tale of well, a clown and a wolfman. Might be a way of summing this up. We're going back to 1985 and it's Restless Natives. The Highlands of Scotland, land of magic, myth and mystery. Haunted by the ghosts of heroes past. Quiet now. Quiet for centuries. Quiet until... The most notorious public enemies since Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I mean, my goodness, come in control. They're fighting on us. I've been waiting for this all my life. They are wanted by the law. Mm -hmm. Police are today searching for two young Scots who held up and robbed a coachload of tourists. They've got Glenn Orkey and Glenn Levitt blocked off. How about Glenn Miller? Hunted by the CIA. We've made it. This is the big time. Oh, oh. And hounded by Angus's mother. <laughs> they're great, aren't they, Dad? They're really clever and they're brave. Hey, you'll never catch those boys. They're far too clever. This, this is a gun! This, this is a gun! This is a holder! Ah! That wasn't so bad! Restless natives. Will and Ronnie are wolfmen in the cloud. Desperados who capture the heart of a nation. And the imagination of the world. What did they call you? My name's Will. You don't know me. You've never seen me before. Maybe I'll see you again then, Will. I hold up, buses! I have here the 17th most wanted man in Scotland. Two underemployed and restless youths with nothing to lose. Who get on their bike and prove that free enterprise really can pay. Natives. So that's Restless Natives, released in the UK 1985. Directed by Michael Hoffman, starring Vincent Friel, Ned Beatty's in this, Joe Mullaney, Bernard Hill, Robert Urquhart, we may need to talk about when we get to the Village Hall of Fame at some point. There's a very brief appearance for Mel Smith, and I'm not going to mention it just yet, but a couple appear at the beginning of the film that can be described as British movie royalty, I think. 
Yeah. Yeah. Stephen, it was your choice this week. Have you got the synopsis for us, please, sir? I do. Celtic clown and canine man captivate coachgoers in humorous Highland holdups, recreating Robin Hood and romancing Rob Roy loving Lassie. <laughs> That's all you need to know. If you haven't seen the film, that is summed it up perfectly. <laughs> I'm particularly proud of that one. Very well done, sir. Very well done. Right, your movie, why have you chosen it? What's your history with it? What's the appeal of this movie to you, mate? There was two motivations for this, and I have seen it further back a number of years ago, um, back in the 90s, and not seen it since then. Um, It's a film that up until recently I don't think had easy availability anyway because Mm. it's a bit more sort of an indie film that's, you know, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, a, a trilogy, I think, in my mind, um, with sort of Gregory's Girl and Local Hero. Yes. Um, with regards to sort of these Scottish independent films and the way they're, there's very much a, a, um, a Gregory's Girl vibe to this, I, I would say, and I think that's, you know, a, a compliment to it. It's not as good, maybe, in some ways, but it certainly has the same kind of vibe to it. The two motivations, I think, were, were really that at the point at which I suggested this to the film was within a, a week or two of, of Ned Beatty dying. So, and, and this is a rare film that he was in um, British-wise and, and particularly of this ilk where it wasn't just a big studio production um, that w- they were doing that was importing stars in that sense. So I'm not 100% sure about how he ended up involved in it, but I'm glad he was. The other thing is that it had, I'd re-watched it shortly before he died because it was on um, BBC iPlayer removed now but they had it on for about six months starting autumn last year up until I think February this year Um, so I'd re-watched it because I I thought oh I I seem to remember that I wonder if it's the film I remember it being and and remember enjoying and it was so there's the two motivations why I brought it to the table and as a a nod to Ned Beatty who although an American actor um so not a mainstay of British cinema certainly somebody that we we respect you saying that the more cynical side of me right (laughs) when I saw Ned Beatty was in this he has appeared previously on the Real Britannia hasn't he in in one of your choices um, yes, I, but yeah, uh, what was it? I'm going to have to look that up now because I've forgotten which one it was. Was it Waking Ned? There's one uh, movie that he appears in, isn't there? And I thought, do you know what? Stephen has brought another British movie that randomly has got Ned Beatty in it. Hang on a minute, I'm checking myself because I'm sure it wasn't brassed off. Um... Right, we've just checked, ladies and gents, and I've made a complete balls up here because he hasn't appeared in anything that Stephen has brought to the table before. What I'm getting confused of was was I saw a, a clip of Hear My Song recently because of your fella, Adrian Dunbar. Yes. Uh, because I was sort of going through a bit of an Adrian Dunbar rabbit hole the other week after the end of Line of Duty, you know, thinking, oh, where do I know him from? And trying to sort of go back. And Ned Beatty appeared as Joseph Locke in Hear My Song. And I thought, that's one I... And and in my head, I was going to bring that to the table myself, uh, particularly bearing in mind... We just spot your your surprise for the end of this episode. No, we're going to have to wait now, aren't we? But again, it was because, as you said, like with, with Ned Beatty passing away recently... 
It's like, you know what, the first thing you think of is either Superman or Deliverance with Ned Beatty. I don't know about you, or, or, <laughs> yes, or, or exactly. Network, if, you, if, you've, if you've ever seen Network. Network uh, is third, but yeah, absolutely, it's, you know, it's uh, Superman and, and Deliverance, yeah. Yeah, and to see him in something like this, okay, yet it needed an American actor because of the, the nature of the story. And you know what? You know, Ned Beatty was never... A class actor was he? he was never going to be, you know, top of the Hollywood tree. But do you know what? He's still got some gravitas, and it's a character actor as well. In yeah. in a way, you can imagine if this was redone, or, or, or was was actually only getting done now, you'd imagine it'd be somebody like John Goodman, because it needs to be somebody who's slightly comical or has got a little bit more of, a, of an edge to that, where they yep. can do comedy. They're not the chiseled superhero american you know no. um, type it's somebody who is you know slightly out of shape and and you know uh, blustering and and their own sense of importance and that works for why he he just you know works his jowly face with um the the various um blemishes on it from um irritation from various powders that have been blasted into it um <laughs> and it, the, the constant scratching at it um, while he's still trying to have gravitas as far as this self-important um, person who is then getting undermined by the, the ongoing background of a divorce going on and, and wranglings over a dog. It just works. He, he, he's perfect for the part, really, and um, does lift this film up, thankfully, to, to you know give it a, a, an extra edge and bring it extra notice. I'm sure it helped bring extra notice of it, as you said, about some other people appearing. Yeah, well, well, we'll come we'll come to those in just a second because they appear at the very, very beginning of the movie. But I just want to go back to something you mentioned a second ago when you said you get a bit of a Gregory's Girl vibe. One of the things that really hit me about this is the relationship where you get sort of an awkward adolescent who appears to be outsmarted by a much smarter younger sister. There's exactly the same relationship between Gregory and his little sister. She's the one that is more wise, more on the ball, more savvy than Gregory, who's a bit of a dreamer and a drifter. Yeah. Um, and in this case, one of our main characters has got a younger sister who knows exactly what he's up to and uses it to her advantage and her mates as well. Yes, and her mates. <laughs> many, many mates. Yeah. And, you know, you said there's this... In your brain, there's this unofficial trilogy of Gregory's Girl, this and local hero. Gregory's Girl was was Bill Forsyth, wasn't it? Was the director yes. and, and local hero. This has got all the trappings of a Bill Forsyth movie without being a Bill Forsyth movie. And do you know what I thought this was in my head? And I've always got these two mixed up, or thinking they're the same film or some way related. I always thought that this was comfort and joy which is the Bill Forsyth movie about the ice cream wars. Yes, yeah, I can understand that blurring yeah. between the two. There is that, that feel that, that transfers over, and I think, you know, it's almost like the Roddy Doyle-type feel that there's, you know, a number of films can be made in, you know, of a similar ilk, but it's, there's almost a signature that even if it's not being done by the same people, there's, a, there's that there yeah. that makes it feel like it is part of the same, you know. I think it would be unbelievable to for these filmmakers who've done this, either scripting or, or the, the actual filming of it, to claim that they didn't have any kind of influence from Gregory's Girl. There is obviously differences to it, but um, the main 
point is that you know if you enjoyed Gregory's Girl, you're likely to enjoy this. It's not big budget. It's very much the, the characters and sort of pulling upon that Scottish youth that are uncomfortable with the direction of their lives and at turning points and stuff. And it's you know that's where this this lies. Obviously, a bit more at this point a preoccupation on the, the background of employment issues and and other things like that that's what you know the, the that is a, a an undercurrent to this which is very much in the background but is still there to be seen which you didn't get in gregory's girl it was very much a teen there's, romance there's a you didn't bit get. Of, yeah in all of these sort of gregory's girl comfort and joy local hero it's it's almost like scotland if you were to take all those films, if you were to spend a week watching these, have a, had a themed movie season of these movies from this era from Scotland, you'd get the impression that Scotland is becoming very disenchanted and alienated from Thatcher's Britain because, you know, she'd recently won another election at this point, you know, uh, two years before this, hadn't she, 83, yeah. whatever it was. And, and that's the beginning of that sort of feeling. Am I right there, I think, without getting Absolutely too... Absolutely, there is. I mean, the, the rise in unemployment um, and the seemingly, you know, disinterest from the powers that be in, in, in London, not seeing Scotland in its own right, just seeing it almost as a as a colony or a satellite, and there not being that attention to it. The Scottish identity starting to have a resurgence, which led to the Scottish National Party being getting more following and finally devolution and etc. But there was always, you know, there was there was this idea that the, the Tory government of the time wasn't interested in Scotland and just saw it as being a, a stronghold of the opposition and therefore they didn't they weren't going to give anything to it or pay any attention to it and let it, you know, just fall in on itself. You know, there were also for for me you know, with the, the mention of unemployment just in the background of, of this, the element whereby famously one of the Tory government ministers mentioned about solving unemployment by getting on your bike. Yes. Um, well, that's what these lads <laughs> that's, did. That's what they did. And it's, it's quite frightening. It's Suzuki. Think... But no, no, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a quite bike, a push bike like his father, yeah. And, and it's quite frightening to think that the highlight or, or what is highlighted in this movie is the fact that Scotland's biggest export or biggest sort of like industry is the tourism industry that, yeah. that, that is at the heart of this because it is the tourists that are the ones that are being exploited we haven't really mentioned the plot here i mean other other my somewhat cryptic synopsis yeah you may uh, have gathered from the trailer and what steven said but it, it's a very simple premise isn't it this because it's, yes. it goes straight into the story it has a hard start absolutely and yeah. when i watched it again via the BBC late last year or early this year, that hard start was something I didn't remember. There, yeah. There's no preamble with them coming to the decision that they're going to go out yep. and, and and rob tourists. They they just do it. Yeah. Um, they're just, you know, it's them setting off to go and do it for the first time and it's not a matter of what's led them to it, really. I mean, they both actually in, in, you know, got some form of employment, but however temporary at the time. So... Um, it's not a last-ditch attempt, but they're deciding to to go and grab it for themselves, as it were, without them being hardened criminals, them just being sort of more idealist in it. There's no preamble with how they come up with the idea, but they just get out, and we suddenly, uh, second pair of people we meet in this film are, are <laughs> as you say, recognisable faces. Well, um, let, but let's we, let the secret out, shall we? Because 
their first victims. I'm right in saying yeah. they are their first victims, and they do get a relative degree of success, as you say, which leads them to you know spur on to to greater things. This was brilliant because I knew exactly that this was going to be a movie I'd love. As soon as I saw that in the car, ladies and gentlemen, in the car that they first robbed, they first hold up like some modern day Caledonian Dick Turpins on motorbike yeah Yeah. it's brian forbes and nanette newman which is random when you think about it yeah but for british film lovers it's like oh my god because you forget you know i mean bless him brian forbes has been long gone now but they were that golden couple weren't they throughout the late 60s the 70s and into the early 80s they were always on tv together you know they always appeared together as a couple um and Forbes directed Newman in her early career and probably I can't remember if he appeared together with her in a couple of movies I think they did didn't they but it was just wonderful to see them as as this sort of cameo and it's sort of a nod and a wink to people in the know yes how they got drawn into it whether it's just you know somebody they knew or it's difficult to say it's the same um with with some of the other people in this that are recognizable faces that yep. are a cameo Mel Smith being, Mel being Smith. one you know whether his you know, because obviously this was before he was involved in having a production company and stuff. So how his involvement came about either was you got to to wonder. But, you know, it's nice that they are because it's good for us, particularly that when you like me and you, mm. to be able to go, oh, there we are. It, it lifts um, it up a little bit above just yeah. an average 80s comedy that is is generally forgotten nowadays but i think it's got all the makings of being a cult movie it's one of those ones that bubble under and i think the people that watched it at the time and loved it still love it exactly the same as gregory's girl but gregory's girl seems to have this cachet that's got bigger and bigger now and has become hugely loved immensely loved by every when we did our gregory's girl review the feedback we got from that, if from as far afield as Morris in Australia, you know, oh mm. my God, you're doing Gregory's Girl, I love that movie. This, it, it should, you know, I've, I've just got this feeling that there's this group of people that hold this in such great esteem, but it hasn't had that breakthrough that Gregory's Girl had, if you can see what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I think with Gregory's Girl, because it had been about um, teenage school level, um, that gives it a bit more of a pull that's more identifiable, a bit further afield. It got there first by a number of years before something like uh, Restless Natives. Yeah. Um, it's you know it's got that more identifiable element um, in in one way. Forsyth going on to other things as well, whereas there was you know the name that was names that attached to this didn't necessarily go on to much else in the same same stratosphere. So I think there's a number of elements there, but I completely agree with you that there are a, a lot of elements that would still put this in the same class and the same cult element. Mm. And people who, who have seen it, I mean, it happened to me. Yeah, I I saw it was on uh, BBC iPlayer and, and went, oh, I remember that and enjoying it. And that being, you know, uh, uh, from a cultish attitude, thinking... Oh yeah, I liked that. I'm sure I did. I'm going to revisit it and hope it hasn't, you know, spoiled it. Going back to it, thankfully that it it didn't. But certainly, you know, it, it sticks in the back of your brain. And you know, to some extent, when I watched it earlier on um, this year uh, or late last year, it was around Christmas time. I watched it. It was a, a one of those things where you go, why haven't I watched this in 
20 years. See, I that's, that's the again. thing you know. that happens to me very, very often, as you know, that I'll be, you know, given a movie by you that I haven't seen since I was a teenager. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it's a, and, and watched you know, it and loved it at the lot time. Of those, and, a lot of those films in the 50s weren't very. Uh, <laughs> They've only just become available again. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, and now we've fallen out of out of, um, out of copyright. Print. Yeah, so. yeah. So I could just get the opportunity to see them now after all these years. You cheeky sod. Yeah. Um, well, it's it's when they're doing the pensioner screenings. You're saying on oh, the silver screen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the Scottish silver screen season. Yes, I'm a, yeah. I'm a regular attendee at that. Yeah. So. <laughs> The elements of this film, although there is a bit of a darker undertone behind that she don't have with Gregory's Girl, which might explain why it ha- one of the reasons why it hasn't got the same cultish following to the yeah. same level. The majority of the film, the concentration is on this comical escapades of these two lads that are, become cult figures and, and become celebrities to the point where they're actually become a tourist attraction. And yes. there's, people, there's people wanting to go, uh, to be guaranteed to be on a coach that is going to be held up by them. Um, <laughs> and people taking photos of Japanese film crew um, coming over to follow them around. Totally although, believable, that, by the although, way. Although they, they obviously, as you completely believably, like you say, they they see it as being that it's not a, a double act. There's, there's, there's three heroes um, in this because there's the, the clown, the wolfman, and the Suzuki, which, which they, you know, spend half half their time talking about that the, the sort of Japanese motorbike that they're buzzing around on. There's but, a hero to them in their country, obviously. Yeah, yeah. it's exactly one of their countrymen, as it were. There's the comical element with that, um, that it's not, it's, it's got a light-hearted crime to it, although there is a, a dip into um, potentially it going down a darker route, which it doesn't actually end up doing as such. Yeah. Um, it's that's still got a light touch to it, but it's that mix between this capers, for want of a better phrase, yep. and um, then the the romantic sort of folly and attempts at trying to, you know, again, pretty much. Um, well, you had to have level, that. level of school yeah. awkward school kids um, coming together. That you know works, and and then you know you, you like you say the the family environment elements as well, which are, you know provide some humour. It all kind of works works together, thankfully, and and it's got the full package really in a, in a lot of ways. It just works well and is an enjoyable watch. Doesn't take itself seriously at all in this movie. There's no dark moments in this movie. Everything is on just the other side of light-heartedness all the way through this every conversation yeah. is a little bit light in tone policemen the, coming into the joke shop asking for a pair of false tits yeah and there, there's you know there's bits where they're they're talking about upping the game with regards to what they're they're doing and he's saying you know about where to get tourists and and or where to hit people you can't you know you can't get the planes because you know they're and all this kind of stuff you can't yeah. get and there's just a throwaway line from the lad who just goes i'm not robbing a train mm. <laughs> which you know great train robbery um, so and there's a few of these lines that are just thrown in there which are, are on a repeated watches you might pick up but so it's not even like it is without a, a little bit of more intricate work in it but the only bit that made me uncomfortable mm. um, with dialogue was at one point one of the lads refers to going down the packy shop. Yes, I did notice that. 
Um, that's a Winston went. Oh. It's of its time. That's all we say when yeah. we get to anything like this. Time. We have yeah. to say it's of um, its time. But uh, um, but there were you know there were it was it was just a terminology at the time. They weren't being racist in you no. know as in denigrating anybody. It was just a, a term that unfortunately got got used and shouldn't be used. It is a comedy uh, with mm. a few neo- nuances that point towards a bit of social commentary, but it certainly is very much in the background and almost unnoticeable unless you're looking for it in some ways. If you know Uh, your history as well, like you mentioned Rob Roy. Yes. Um, Because Rob Roy robbed coaches, didn't he? Yeah. Part of the, uh, I can't even remember whatever James or whatever English King was, uh, you know, it all gets lost in my brain, all that Scottish history, unfortunately. Um, No, it was George, wasn't it? It was George and, and Rob Roy. And his and his members of his gang took to robbing coaches, in a similar vein. You, you saying about you sort of like winced at some of the language, and I thought you were going to go down the road of saying that that, that there was the whole of Bernard Hill's Scottish accent made you wince because <laughs> Bernard Hill, one of this country's finest actors, and, and why they could not get a Scottish actor to play the boy's father, I don't know, but. This, this must be about the same time as Boys from the Black stuff, thinking about it, 1985. It, 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 it must be, yeah. I mean, there's a, some other people you could imagine them... Um, James possibly... Cosmo would have been brilliant as the father. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. You, you're right there. I was yeah. just trying to think of a couple of examples. Yeah. And, um, he, he trumps all of them as yeah. far as who would be great. Now, I don't know how, how old he was at the time, but yeah. I think he probably would have been around about the right age to, to slot in there. And, you know, Bernard Hill, absolutely. You've mm. got enormous respect for his acting career and and everything but um not his scottish accent his, his scottish accent was was perhaps passable but Questionable, not yes i think that you know it might have been better if they'd actually just in some way inserted some dialogue about the fact that he wasn't actually scottish and with had moved north <laughs> yeah. in his in his teens or something over and then they wouldn't have had to force him into putting on an accent that didn't completely scan it was a, it was a minor detail, uh, really. It wasn't to such level where it was completely comedic. It, it was noticeable if you if you ever met a Scottish Scottish person. Um, <laughs> and I imagine if you are Scottish, I'm surprised the people who were who were acting with him didn't, you know, say, "Can we not just leave this and let him just talk?" Why can't he, Why can't I have an English father? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, because you know the the English um, were the uh, were the enemy. And uh, that's the, the, the sort of almost a th- the background theme of the film. You know, it's the it's the the, the restless natives and the the colonial overseas, which is where the, the title comes from. It I think. is a um, bit more political than a Bill Scythe movie, isn't it? Deep yeah. down at its heart, but um, it's it, but it's very much subtle and backgroundy. And you you know, if there'll be people who will watch it and won't even see any of that in it. You don't have to. It, it doesn't. No. Uh, it doesn't have to be part of your viewing experience. You can take it at face value in, in the fact that you've got quite inoffensive humour. Actually, I don't think there's anything that your granny would blush at here. Even, even the bit, as I say, with the policeman going into the joke shop and asking for a pair of comedy breasts. Everybody would laugh at that line. Just at his awkwardness as he walks in. The fact that Ned Beatty, as you say, as a character actor, portrays this inept FBI agent. Yes, he's not super efficient. He just has to be a bit bumbling, like he is in Superman, you know. Uh, and when you piece it all together, it's got a very witty script. And, and the script was um, 
the result of a competition. Did you know this? Yeah, it was, uh, uh, one of the banks, wasn't it? Yeah. Sponsored a, a, a script writing thing. I can't remember which one it was. Yeah. Whether it was Lloyd's or TSB or somebody mm. over. Yeah, that it was a it was a it was a winner, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Of some competition, um, which I think deservingly so. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Almost going back to the where the film Forster stuff came about, where that was kind of trying to put things into production that were that were the homegrown talent that before this and handmade films there mm. was really only um if there was any patronage like competitions to get stuff actually done otherwise there's a lot of stuff that got lost um unfortunately so you know good that it actually did manage to you know get the notice and get made based upon being a a, a winning competition yeah and, and surprisingly she never wrote anything else for the screen um she became an author following this and i think it says here somewhere there we go Ninian Dunnett was her name. She wrote no more for the screen, but she became an author and a social historian, which is a shame because if it was, you know, she wrote some screenplays of the quality of this, it would have been some great movies possibly coming out of it. And the other interesting thing as well is the director is American, isn't he, as well? Yeah. Michael Hoffman. Um, And this is only about his second movie, I think. So... You know, it's it's a real mishmash, and it, 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 when you look at all the elements, it shouldn't work. You know, it's, it's like an, an unknown screenwriter, a, a fairly new American director, unknown cast with the odd cameo, and you know, and it's it's just well, nineteen eighty five. You know, just at the the start of film four and the British film, which we said about this second wave of the film industry, didn't we, in the 80s when film four and handmade really took off. It's it's at the beginning of this, and, and I think it may have got lost amongst some of the other great British stuff that was about at that time, Stephen. When you think about it, 85 was, was probably one of the peak years. Yeah, you, you were starting to get, um, the, uh, like you say, a resurgence, and that was partly to do with likes of film four and, mm. and bbc starting to invest again yeah um it was you know you, you started to get some of the things like the cusp of um i don't know like education reacher and a few things yeah. like this that suddenly were coming about in even some of the stuff that actually made an impact upon the states so this um unfortunately i think did get lost for a number of reasons and you know there possibly could be an argument that as a Scottish film rather than a film, you know, mm-hmm. made, you know, in England, sometimes uh, there is a, a bit more of a preference there as well. Um, I don't know if there was anything behind it as well with regards to the release and licensing and all that kind of stuff, but certainly it didn't get the notice it deserves. Um, no. I think we can um, agree upon that. Didn't Gregory's Girl and Local Hero get some sort of Oscar nod or BAFTAs or something? There was there was awards awarded to those guys, wasn't there? Local Hero certainly was. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know about Gregory's Girl. I think it, BAFTAs. I think it. I might think have got I, some notes. Yeah, I think BAFTA it did, but I think I think as far as its popularity or, or its appreciation abroad, I don't. I think that was a bit more of a slow burner. I think it it, it got. Well, it don't got forget it was released with subtitles, a, a wasn't longer. it? In America. Yeah. So there was a definite release out there, but it had yeah. to be subtitled. Yeah. And I mean, I think, uh, well, I think when we were talking about Gregory's Girl, I think wasn't there, that there was some somewhere like Brazil or Argentina where it's it's incredibly popular for some bizarre reason. Wasn't because like they're hitchhiking to Caracas, is it? 
Yeah, possibly. Um, <laughs> yeah, it could be. Yeah, yeah. I think Gregory's girl didn't internationally succeed straight away, but subsequently got yeah. the, the recognition it deserves. This has yet to get the recognition it deserves internationally, I think. Do you think um, it will? Hopefully will yeah. we'll be reconciling that with our um, wide um, international audience um, that we have of devoted fans oh, in all three virtually, of them. E- virtually every country in, in the world. Yes. Um, mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Keep um, dreaming, Sam. Keep dreaming. Yeah, the people who actually performed in this film, um, with the exception of the Audi people who were notable names, yep. you find a lot of them um, are people who, with the exception of having an appearance in in Taggart or um, yeah. Take the High Road, the usual um, they, yes, they, uh... they didn't actually that you know go on to to anything else really. No. Uh, which is again, it's one of those has a feel of like Ken Loach films where they're picking people who are more or less the people that they're portraying. Um, you know, you can imagine in this, the, the street sweeper was actually somebody who they found sweeping the streets. More and than said, likely. You know, yeah. Be in this film that, you know, it has that same kind of feel to it. You know, they won't have been professional extras that they were running down the street with the 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 solter chasing the the bike as, as fans of the duo in in stopping the police in the streets. They'll have been just you know local people that have rounded up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so it's got that that authentic feel to it, feel to it in that way. Exactly. But, um, exactly. That stops it from maybe having the professional polish that the Oscars and things would normally be be looking at. Well, as we've learned over the last four years, it's people that play roles like the street sweepers that generally make their way into the Village Hall of Fame. Yes. <laughs> How good was that, mate? Get your keys out. We're going to the Village Hall of Fame. Restless Natives, not a massive cast, or certainly not a massive famous cast. There is one big British name, apart from the royalty that we've mentioned, in the shape of Robert Urquhart. I can't remember if you've seen him so far or not. Stephen, open up the open up the uh, the massive tome there that you've got in front of us, and let's see who's inducted and who's on their way into the Hall of Fame, mate. As you say, it's not a massive cast, and a mm. lot of the cast, as we've just discussed, are people who haven't really had careers. It was just people who uh, were, were one-off appearances or, or in, in such. There are four people who are making their second appearances. Yep. There's uh, Dave Anderson. He played the guy who was the boss in of the bus company. Okay, yeah. With a bald head that yep. was, you know, when the woman came up saying... Which of these is going to be the one that I can? Yeah. Be, be, which coach trip can I be robbed on? Yeah. There's also um, Ed Bishop, who is an American. Oh, of course, yeah, Ed Bishop um, was in it. Yeah. He playing the the. He was he was playing the TV reporter yeah. that was you know on screen briefly reporting mm. um, back to the United States on on what was going on. Yeah. Um, he's previously been in um, although he was in a number of was it. 
what was it black hole or one of those these tv no he was, he was in he was ufo in. he was in ufo, UFO that was it, it. Was striker wasn't um, he in, in ufo yeah so he was in that but he's previously been on the podcast um in lolita he will crop up in a couple of bombs so, as well um and i think he was somebody who did dip his toe um into um british cinema um james Bond, as, mate, as an so. american a number of times so he yeah. will be in again thankfully We've also got somebody called Irene, Irene Sunters. Okay. She was the the woman that that came into the joke shop complaining uh, rather <laughs> rather comically and Scottishly about her what son. was being sold to a, a wee boy. Yeah. Which you know is is you know very much comes across as as being a a, a comedy interlude. Yep. Um, in there, but um, yeah, she's been on the the podcast before. She was in the Wicker Man. Ah, okay. okay. Um, which, you know, Scottish films and, and all that. And then, as you've previously mentioned, Robert Urquhart, he's making his only second appearance, okay. as it turns out. Okay. I really can't see how he's not going to be um, at some point in the Village Hall of Fame, because, yeah. let's face it, he was in this, he was in Dunkirk, mm. so there's plenty of, of in, marriage in between. between the two yeah. in his career that, that there was things he'll be uh, reappearing in. Yep. So, yeah, so thankfully we've got got those um as making the second appearances there's only two people making their third appearances and therefore debuts in the hall of fame okay one of those is ninette newman hey excellent previously in the rebel and legal gentleman that was where they appeared in together the rebel brian forbes and ninette newman were both in the rebel i'm sure uh no i don't think brian forbes was in no um, however, Go on. they were both in Legal Gentlemen. Because as, as Brian Forbes been inducted as Brian well. Brian Forbes, <laughs> uh, because, not for because he's only appeared as an actor in two. Um, uh, um, I whistled down people, the wind. Because he did have um, writing credit, um, obviously, um, in involvement um, previously with one of the films we've watched. Yeah, Whistle Down the Wind. Uh, whistle Down the Wind, yeah. So that was his, you know, he racks up three from um, from those then. So, but yes, they were both in Legal Gentlemen. I don't think they had any screen time together necessarily. But as we commented about him before, that um, although we recognise him, and, and at a certain point in his lifetime, he was actually recognised. He's lost a, a bit of recognition, apart from the likes of us and Talking Pictures TV fans. Uh, with regards to the contributions he did make to British cinema, and, and certainly a lot of respect for the for the man um, on multiple levels of his um, involvement in British um, filmmaking, you know, writer, writer, director, and an actor. He's one of the ones that we will make an exception for that because his directing career and screenwriting career is as notable as his acting career. We will mention him wherever we can. I think. Which well, is it? He, he, he was. Um, uh, an uncredited writer on um, the man who haunted himself, apparently, but because it's uncredited, it's difficult to, okay. to know how you know what involvement he actually had. Yeah. But certainly, a, a credible um, addition, and um, you know, uh, somebody who um, should be recognised for their contributions to British cinema. So we don't have any other en- entries as such. But as we've noted before, there were. It's it's worth you know worthwhile noting that singular appearances from the luminaries been uh, Ned Beatty, Mel Smith, and um, at some point I'm sure an inductee will be uh, Bernard Hill. Bernard maybe, Hill, maybe maybe with be. a better accent. 
<laughs> he does a variety of accents in whatever he appears in, doesn't he? He never actually <coughs> sticks to his own, I think. No, no, but, you know, at least he's better at doing a Scottish accent than Sean Connery is at doing a non-Scottish accent. So... <laughs> Couldn't agree more. That's the village hall, and um, so I mean, there were some people in this who I would like to have seen have have more of a career. Yeah. Um, to be perfectly honest, because they were, you know, I think the, had a good start with it um, in this, and it's a shame to to not see them, them, you know, go on to other things. But hopefully, that was their choice rather than um, any other reason. Yeah, like you say, a lot of it tended to develop into TV appearances of the 80s, like your Taggarts and things like that. Vincent Frill did appear in Train Spotting as Diane's father, I've just noticed. Uh, Vincent Frill, who played Will. Um, yeah. But for the others, as you say, Terry Lally, who was the female lead. Yeah. Cameo in Comfort and Joy, pretty much. You know, nothing major to speak of I mean there's a Japanese guy we were talking about the Japanese guys and one of the reporters is a guy called Eiji Kasuhara is he the one that was in Star Wars he is in Empire Strikes Back (laughs) but he is also in every single British sitcom of the 60s 70s and 80s as Japanese tourist or Japanese reporter it's the most famous sort of like British Japanese face you'll ever see on TV He, he will probably appear in the Hall of Fame at some point, I can guarantee that. So, and why not him and yeah. Burt Kwok? Eh? Him and Burt Kwok. He, yeah. he he was in Harry Hill as False Burt. Right. You know, Burt Kwok used to appear on the Harry Hill show. Yeah. Um, and there was a, there was a sketch where there was a guy pretending to be Burt Kwok, and it was him. So was he was he also in um, what was it called? Banzai. Where I don't think it was him. Stupid. I don't know. Hang on a sec. I'm just going to look because this guy's know, credits he, are as amazing. You say, he's one of those that there was it was rolled out as being the the the, the stereotype of a, a whole nationality, and we know throughout British TV um, and to some extent, about particularly British TV, that always not wasn't always done sensitively. No, um, shall we say? <laughs> no. um, and you know, in some cases. Um, the the you know like um, the Afghanit stuff the the fall guy was the person who was being racist rather than anything else but um, there are some examples whereby the humour at the expense of of a racial stereotype or a religious stereotype was something that was of its time as we've mentioned with regards to um, the the local shops um, in this but yeah it's it's important you know that that you know. You have these people, and they definitely played, you know, played the parts exactly as as required, and and did give it a lift. Having the Japanese interest in it, I think, was was a nice touch, rather than it just being the Americans interested in in the robbing of American tourists. Have it that the the Japanese were taking an interest in it because of the Suzuki, which I think was cute in a, in a way, and give it a different element that make it seem more international and certainly a lot less not phrasing anglo-centric because it's um but um you know anglo-saxon with the you know <laughs> regards to the white people only being a, a white person film yeah, but yeah. i think that the definitely having the interjection of lynette newman and brian forbes and then mel smith and a few of you know a few of faces that you recognize like robert urquhart that yep. give it a lift and and allow you to 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 see that this wasn't a can't be dismissed as like a 
a student film. No, it wasn't a make thing. make a movie and run movie, was it? It was it was definitely designed to have some gravitas to it and and some importance and you know everybody intended to make the best movie they could and they've made a bloody great movie at the end of the day which is criminally underseen um i don't think i mentioned it's the first time watch for me but i'd I'd never seen it because i say no in my my mind it was comfort and joy or it was it was one of those like we said you've got the unofficial trilogy in your brain i've got like five or six from that era that are all you know melding into one unfortunately and this was one that i hadn't seen um, and I, I think I was getting mixed up with comfort and joy, to be honest. Unfortunately, this might not have been well publicised. Um, I certainly think that, you know the artwork around, you know, like the what seems to be the poster or DVD cover really <laughs> doesn't sell. That the is film an as awful is. one, the blue one. Uh, yeah, that yeah. is that is awful. Um, yeah. yeah, two young men stylized that are just leaning on a, a, a counter in a shop. It doesn't represent the. <laughs> The Wilds of Scotland and the the Bonnie and Clyde robbing of tourists and you know they're robbing tourists using although they 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 do have a gun they're they're actually not using the gun they're using a projectile joke shop prop that actually sends out itching powder and and other things in it to to go and you know get one over on people without actually doing them any damage and that is the gentle side of it whereby you know that that and then starting to to give money away to, to to random people and things and it's 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 more heartwarming than you know than criminal um thankfully and yeah. i think that's what endears it to people and and you know helps sell it um for us it's an easy watch isn't it it's it's under 90 minutes just it's one of those great movies that's not going to take up too much of your time and there's no padding and as you said, there's such a hard start to this movie. You think you've you've started halfway through at one point. It's like, wow, we're, we're going into this now? And it then develops, you know, we then find out, you know, obviously where they got the mask from is the joke shop. Um, there's, there's a wonderful scene where they try and get a gun off, off, yes. two, off two kids. Yes, um, they're buying, you know, replica guns <laughs> off, off two kids, yeah. And it's, it's the little asides like that, and... The, the pleasing cameos, as we say, very early on for Nanette Newman and Brian Forbes. But as I say, Mel Smith pops up. You know, you, the character actors that you'll recognise, like Ed Bishop and and Robert Urquhart, definitely, who's, who's going to be, you know, a bit of a legend, really, in the British film industry as well. So I, I'm very pleased to have watched it, mate. I'm glad you brought it to the table. It is difficult not to compare this to a Bill Forsyth and those films that we are more familiar with, like Local Hero or or Gregory's Girl. But at the same time, it quite rightly deserves to be compared with and spoke about in the same breath, mate, because it is, is a bloody great film. Yeah, the, the, the comparisons are complimentary. Um, yes. We're, we're using the, the comparisons as a way of, of selling this to people who are, are fans of... Gregory's girl saying, "If you like that, you'll like this." It's not used to to say in any way that this is a, a, a you know, a copy of or a lazy no, no. Um, or anything like that. It certainly is is um, quality in its own right. It does deserve more notice, yeah. uh, as you say. It, it is enjoyable to watch. It's you know, it's it's 
passes by you, you quite quickly and you get to the end of it and you know happy with what you've seen really it, yeah. you, you know you, you, it concludes and you go hmm. well that was good enjoyed that yeah <laughs> and and one thing that we haven't mentioned which i think sets it aside from the bill Forsyth and others of that ilk and and people please don't be put off by this he's got a soundtrack by um big country now, yes. anybody who grew up in the 80s, it's like, oh, my God, it's that Scottish band that made the guitars sound like bagpipes. Yes. yes. And it works. It absolutely works in this movie, doesn't it, mate? Because it's not intrusive. And it's just great. It's just these guitars in the background. And you get this air of, like, oh, Scottish Highlands or whatever. And and I thought it it was, a, a, you know, a unique way of... of creating a music score i think i've read somewhere that the music in this film wasn't actually um released on a, a big country album it was on compilations and yeah on the soundtrack to this but it wasn't actually what now, i don't know whether that was because it was written specifically for this or whether it yeah. was just um kept separate originally in, in, you know originally which was quite different for for most movies there was no soundtrack album released at the time for this so what they did, because I was a bit of a fan of Big Country, I saw them. They were the support act when I saw David Bowie oh. uh, back in 87, um, the Glass Spider tour, and they were the, one of the support acts. Um, what they did, they I think they took two or three of the tracks from this movie and they, they sort of pieced them together and made them into like an extended track on B-sides of singles or an EP or something. But I think since then, since this has now got a lovely sort of like remastered Blu-ray cleaned up release, which you and I both watched, which is crystal clear and very, very good quality. um, I think they've actually created a soundtrack album now featuring all the music. So it might be worth seeking out for for completists of the big country, you know, fans. Yeah, the the music does work. And as you say, that that characteristic thing of, the guitars sounding like bagpipes. Yeah. Um, except actually, there's a tune, so they don't they don't sound like bagpipes completely because there is a tune to them. Whereas bagpipes always seem sound like they're still tuning up. That's the problem with them. They take a um, while, don't they? A bit wheezy at the beginning. Don't they? Yeah. <laughs> no, the, the the music works um, to accompany. Yeah. Um, the feel of the film. Yeah. And you know, obviously, a, a contemporary band which helps the feel of it as well yep and, absolutely you know I, I think that the the film's got these complementary elements that work all together that enables it to to come across as something that's worthwhile revisiting or watching for the first time in your experience mm-hmm. and it's now been you know i think the reason why it's it's got some kind of um notice now is because it has been re-released on on um, Blu-ray. I think there was a documentary done by the the, the woman uh, Ninian, um, or she was involved in some documentary earlier on this year, actually, that was about the making of this. Oh, um, right. I'm not sure. I think I saw some some reference to that. But certainly, I don't know. You know, it's 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 having a um, a revisit from a number of, of angles elsewhere. So, and with the coinciding with the sad loss of Ned Beattie. This yes. was a, a, a timely suggestion to bring to the, the, the table for us to, to go over and certainly is a, a counterpoint 
to some of the the kitchen sinks or war films or the the hammer horror now yeah um, it's yeah. it's it, it, you know although a part of this does take place in a, gra- a graveyard it certainly <laughs> doesn't feature um any rolling mist or or bats on string no three witches lurking in the <laughs> in the heather no we've got none of that in this movie <laughs> Keep an eye out for it on iPlayer. It's bound to reappear. If not, treat yourself to the Blu-ray. It certainly is worth it. Absolute gem. Thank you very much, mate. It's going to be my choice next time. So let's take a quick break and we'll be back with what we're watching. So that was Restless Natives from 1985. Stephen, it's my choice for you. And I was in a bit of a dilemma. You said to me that, you know, you pretty much don't make up your mind as to what, you know, you're going to choose until this point in, in the recording. It's it's still two or three floating about in your brain. They they usually, well, not usually, but often there, there are two, possibly three, that I'm undecided about until the very end. Now, obviously, previous to... To this episode, the last one that we did, that we you know announced this one in, um, I had decided, which is why I, I mentioned mentioned the phrase <laughs> "restless natives" throughout. I did um, notice that that, that, yes. that, yeah. that previous episode, yeah. but I'm, I've been keeping an ear out, and I've not noticed you repetitively do, using a, a phrase in to give me a hint. There's so, a reason um, for that. So I'm assuming that it's because you've not decided yet. There's a reason for that. Yes, I mean, I I told you that when we started, I had a list of three possibles that I couldn't choose between and as we've been talking I've added another two (laughs) I have now narrowed that down to one I'm going to commit myself to this now the logic behind this or the thinking behind it was okay we've gone to 1985 which again we've said to us that's a new movie that's that's a brand new movie 1985 (laughs) contemporary (laughs) well we could go back further into the mists of time and I could choose an ealing comedy or something a war film from the 50s or you know a swinging 60s movie or we could continue with the kitchen sinks that was going to be one of me you know my choices the next in the kitchen sinks i'm going forward in time from 1985 which is something i don't do very often you tend to choose the more recent movies uh, yeah i i i still um do have a, a little bit of a gap just because yeah. um i don't i mean i know tony has picked one some more recent than my, than myself yeah. but um yep. but yes i i you know it usually ends up a bit of a counterbalance as well that you know there'll be a, a film a very good film that you've picked from the 40s 50s or 60s and suddenly i'll go oh well actually i'll mm. pick something from ages and 90s yeah well um, I'm going to pick a movie that will be celebrating its 10th anniversary next year. So, to certain people, that could still be deemed as a classic, a 10-year-old movie. That's still, still on at the cinema, isn't it? It could well be, you know. It's, it's, it's a director we haven't looked at, and he's a hugely successful director in recent years, Mr Ben Wheatley. All right, yes. It's a comedy. 
It's set in the rolling hills of the north of England. Uh, it could also be described as a horror. It's sightseers. Right, yeah. Have you seen it? Um, I... I'll give you a clue. It's set in the Lake District. They go to the Keswick Pencil Museum. I haven't seen it. I I know I saved it onto my um, DVR when it was on um, television a number of years ago and never got around to actually watching it. Excellent. So I have it there to to go to. So... um, that's a, 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 a good shout there, yeah. Yes, it's very rare that I pick a movie that you haven't actually seen. Um, mm. The plot, without giving too much away, an innocent tour of Britain's countryside turns into a disturbing odyssey when Chris whisks his girlfriend away on a cross-country road trip. Comedy horror, I'm going to say. Yes. Quite disturbing in places, but never serious okay uh, you'll recognise some famous faces you know some famous British faces and Ben Wheatley as I say a lot of success recently so I think it's it's worth dipping into something this recent rather than focusing on classic classics and I'm looking forward to it and again it's, it's not too taxing I think it's about 90 minutes long or so that one so we'll give it a go and I'm intrigued to see what you think of it then mate yeah, well, I recorded it on the basis that it, it felt like it was going to be a film that I um, would be um, interested in seeing. So you got there before I actually got round to it, although yeah. I think I did record it about three years ago. So you, uh, yeah, you've had, I've had plenty of time to do it before you <laughs> you've nudged me towards it. Okay. Word of warning, it's not one for dog lovers, this film. I'll say no more. Um <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that has been the Real Britannia podcast. I've been Scott. He has been Stephen. Stephen, thank you so much, mate, again, for filling my Saturday mornings with joy, as you always do. No, it's absolutely my pleasure. Good man. I will talk to you very soon. Take care. See you later. Take care.
the British end up, sir. I'm sick of pains. <laughs>